0: Welcome to the Let's Play Music podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Solberg, creator and founder of the Let's Play Music, music curriculum. We're glad you're tuning in. Let's play music, Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of our podcast. And today I'm super excited because we are talking to Kelsey Fenn. Hi, everyone. So excited to be here. Us too. Let me tell you a little bit about Kelsey. So she is. Um, a speech and language expert. She got her undergraduate degree at ASU in speech and hearing sciences. And then she got her master's degree in speech language pathology um, at Pacific University. So, um, and then not only does she have that expertise and experience, um, she also has three children of her own, ages five, three and nine months. So I bet she has really enjoyed watching them develop their speech and I'm just excited to talk to her and, and obviously this is a music podcast, but I have learned more about how music and speech are tied together and how the auditory processing system is really similar for the acquisition of both of those skills for speak and speech and for language. So. I'm just excited to get Kelsey's um, point of view on this. And then also her her therapy, she's, she does, you know, she's a pathologist, so she studies and then she offers insights and help for people. So wow, Kelsey, we're super excited to talk to you. And I think the first thing that I would just like to know more about is tell me, how did you get into speech and language? How did you know you wanted to do that for your um, education? Yeah.
1: I always have had a love of working with children. and um, So I knew I wanted to do something around that. And my senior year of high school, I was co- planning to go to college um, and considering getting a teaching degree. And then I had a friend who was actually getting her master's in speech pathology. And uh-huh. she had asked if I had ever heard about it. And I hadn't. But uh-huh. she really enjoyed it. And so um thought that that might be something that I would enjoy as well. Wow, so started, and this was your senior year? This is my senior year of high school, yeah. Wow. And then I started freshman year taking some intro classes and really enjoyed it and thought it was fascinating,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then just continued on. And so I got my bachelor's degree in um, speech and hearing sciences, and then got into a master's program for speech-language
0: pathology. So, That's awesome. You're one of the lucky ones that decides what they want to do early and then just actually does it. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm grateful. That's super nice. That's awesome. So tell me about your experience in your education. I'm guessing you didn't have children yet at the time. Tell me tell me how that felt and as you absorbed this knowledge, tell me how that felt to you. Right. Yeah,
1: we didn't we waited to have kids till after both my husband and I got master's degrees. Um so we waited to have kids till after school. Which is interesting because I feel like now having children, I know way more about language development than I right. Yeah. (laughs) So I've never understood language development more than having my own children and being a mom.
0: The school Uh, of life is pretty cool, right?
1: Yes. Yes. It's so true. Yeah. So in your master's degree for speech language pathology, you take courses, but then you also have to do work out in the field. So clinic work either at a private practice or a school setting. I specialize more in the pediatric population, but some Mm -hmm. SLPs work with um, adult population, the adult population as well. um, Okay.
0: In, in hospitals and nursing homes. Got it. So you did have more pediatric experience? Yes. Yes. Okay. And tell me what some of the most exciting things you learned, or if you could like summarize um, some of Mm -hmm. what you learned there, what, what would you want to share?
1: I just think the brain is so fascinating in that from the time we're tiny, from the time we're first born, um, even in the womb, some studies show that uh, we're listening to language and picking up on our mother's voice. um, Right. And how crucial that is for your early zero to five or some of the most crucial years in your development um, and are so important for language development and all areas of
0: development. And and that's where the science has been taking us. It just keeps going. Actually, it matters younger than we thought. Actually, it matters younger than we thought. Actually, it matters in utero. Yeah, these things matter. So, yeah, that's really cool that, that, you know, that's the thing that is prevalent in your mind. So tell me about some of this physiology or some of this science that makes us work. Yeah. So
1: there's two main areas in your brain that contribute to language development. So there's okay. um, a place called Broca's area and Wernicke's area. And so okay. Broca's area is where your ideas and thoughts are formulated into spoken words. And um, it's also connected to the motor cortex where okay. you use your mouth to articulate what you want to say. Right. And then and tell me
0: what that's called again Broca's Broca's area yes How do you spell that B R O C A Okay And does that come from a researcher or scientist or Yes Is that a name of someone Yes It's his last okay. name The one who discovered that area of the brain That's cool That's yeah. cool And so it the one that manages the thoughts and then gets them to articulate
1: Yes And that's in our okay.
0: In our frontal lobe And in Got the it. temporal okay. lobe
1: there's another area called Wernicke's area and that's in charge of comprehension, so understanding and
0: processing speech that we hear. Got it, okay, so I'm guessing Mr. Wernicke. Yes, (laughs) you're correct. So uh, am I right if I say, Wernicke would be receptive language and Broca would be formative language? Expressive, yes. Express, thank you, okay, expressive language. Interesting, and there are parts of the brain for that. That's awesome. Yes, yeah. Oh, to me that's just, fascinating. Partly, I'll say this early, I, I was going to say this a little bit later in our conversation, but partly because I have a daughter who um, has lots of cognitive disabilities. And early on, you know, she wasn't speaking. So we were in speech therapies from the time she was six months until well, she still is in speech therapy, and she's 17 now. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of speech therapists. I've never heard Broca's and Wernicke. I've never even heard that before. We always use expressive and receptive. So I've, I've understood that those are two separate speech skills. Right. But hearing that there are parts of the brain and that it's physiologically founded, I just think that's extra cool. So. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Anything else you want to tell us about the physiology of speech, the biological end of it? Um, babies are listening um,
1: and differentiating between sounds and then watching you make the sounds with your mouth. And you do have to move your mouth in certain ways to produce different sounds.
0: If that right. Makes sense. Cool. Okay. All right, Kelsey. You're a mom and you're a scientist, and you have some skills that most of us moms don't have. So what would you say, as moms, we should do to facilitate speech with our infants? Yeah, there's lots of things.
1: Um, lots of things we can do to encourage language development from the time our our babies are tiny and firstborn, born. Um, mm-hmm. So a big thing is just talking, even though it sounds silly, um, talking to your baby, even though they don't really respond back, um, um, mm-hmm. helping them to hear hear the sounds of their native language is going to help them. Right. Also, making sure we're using Motherese. It's a form of the way we talk to our our babies. And it's really innate. So
0: tell me more about that. Yeah. Tell yeah. me more about motherese. Cause I, I just heard that term, the podcast I did last oh, week. Cool. She said the word motherese and I'm like, okay, what is that? Yes. So will you define it for us? Cause she didn't.
1: Yes. So that is the, the way we talk to tiny babies. We have um, a higher pitch and um, in intonation and we should use correct grammar. So um, ah. a lot of people call it like your baby voice or your mom voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Or baby talk.
0: Yes. Is that the same thing? Okay. Uh
1: And the difference, I like to call it mom voice because baby talk, sometimes we get into using simplified words. So like, oh, my little boy, and we don't want to, we don't want to use that. We want to use our mom voice with our higher pitch and intonation, um, but correct grammar. So, oh, my little boy.
0: Oh, you're so sweet. Look at you. You're strong. You're kicking the ball. And innately, innately, it comes out way higher than that. Yes, I mean, I, when I'm talking to my granddaughter, I'm like, oh, hi, honey, how are you? I mean, I go into this, like, and it's, it's completely innate. I don't even think about it. And all of a sudden I'm laughing at myself going, I can't believe the way I'm talking to this child, but I like that. It's called motherese because it implies that it's a language and that it's innate and that you know, we just do it. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And I
1: feel like a lot of people like apologize, like, oh, sorry, that was my mom voice or things. And I say, stop apologizing because you're helping your baby tune into your voice and your facial expressions. Um, and those things are going to help them
0: learn to talk. Which are exaggerated, right? Yes, I mean, when we're talking motherese, so. we we just tend to exaggerate our face and we exaggerate the smile and the, everything about it. And And I love hearing that, you know, this is good. This is part of the survival of the race. We are supposed to innately be doing it. Yes, this. yes. So know that you're doing it when you use your your mom voice. And a good reminder, I appreciate hearing this, that it needs to be proper grammar. Yes. And and all of the right words, because it is tempting. Again, it's it's tempting to go, oh, do, do that hurt your little baby? I mean, I just, I go wonky yes. when I start
1: talking to her. I mean, <laughs> even me who knows, I know these things and I sometimes have to catch
0: myself we need to use proper grammar. Cool. So in in some ways we can allow our nature to take over and be silly, but in some ways we need to be educated and use the proper grammar. Right. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm glad we all know how to speak motherese. <laughs> That's great. I'm I'm really glad for that quick lesson. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Um Okay, tell me what, what other things we can do to facilitate yeah. speech. So
1: then when you're talking to your baby, you're going to talk about things that you're doing so uh. and things that they're doing. So a lot of the times now with three kudos, I have a baby on my hip making dinner or doing other tasks. Um, and usually I try and talk about what I am doing. Oh, I'm stirring. Mm-hmm. I'm mixing the the dinner or whatever. And then talk about what they're doing. Oh, I see you're kicking the ball. That's a ball. Um, and repeating Mm -hmm. simple words is also something that's a positive thing to do so that your baby can hear the words often because those connections um, are going to continue to reinforce and help your
0: child learn vocabulary. Right. Yeah. So you're narrating what you're seeing going on around you and you're repeating the simple vocabulary words. Yes. And, And I kind of think For a lot of people that comes naturally too right right? but for some it doesn't i know i've talked to people who they're like i don't i don't know what to say to my baby i don't know i don't know what i'm supposed to be saying so i think that's great to identify that it's an important skill and that if it doesn't come naturally to you you're you're giving moms the content just narrate just narrate Yes. what are you doing what are you seeing what are you experiencing? Right. It
1: seems so simple, but yeah, sometimes we do forget. Or these strategies are really easy to use in daily routines. So changing a mm-hmm. diaper or um, putting on your clothes or at meal times or bath times. And I think sometimes we're so focused on the task, we kind of forget right. like, oh, I should be talking to you and tell you about what's going on.
0: Right. It's been a long time since I was a young mom, but I remember doing things with my children just the routine things like dressing them and bathing them and maybe even feeding them and my brain is somewhere else yes and I'm not talking to the child and I'm like oh my gosh I'm doing all this interaction and I'm not even talking to you and so you know I know we can get caught up in that where we just forget that we really should be interacting and speaking all the time right another
1: thing too is um yeah making sure we're tuning in to our child and kind of what they're doing or what they're focused on—that's mm-hmm. going to help us know kind of what they're interested in. As your baby gets older, they're going to start to, you know, look around more and see things, and that's a way that they can communicate to us before they—they they are talking. So, yeah, making sure we tune in, that we're talking a lot, and then we're also taking turns. Ah. It's important. So you're talking to your baby, and babies like to make lots of noise. This is how they learn to use their voice. Mm-hmm. So as you're talking, it's really important to provide some wait time. If you make a sound, wait, you know, even count to 10 in your head and see what happens. See if they will try and imitate your sound back. If they move their body in a certain way, this kind of helps them understand that communication is really the whole reason we want our baby to talk. And it's this back and forth kind of
0: effort. Wow. Oh, I wish I would have talked to you 25 years ago. That's really that's really awesome. And and as we know, w- you know, when you do stop and look and when you do tune in to your child, you're just building a bond with them. Right. You're just getting more intuitive and 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 building that relationship that you're going to need later once they're speaking all over yeah. the place. So I love that you're talking about building speech development, but you're also bringing a relationship into totally. that. Connection is
1: a huge part of of language development and and like you said that's
0: that's the reason we talk is to communicate with other people. Yeah. And the reason that we communicate is to build our relationships. Yes. I mean that's that's really what we're doing. We want to connect with the people that we care about. You know, strengthening relationships through communication. So what are some other things you can do to engage if, your baby or toddler? And maybe you want to talk about infants and toddlers and maybe even preschoolers in a, in different yeah. Um, yeah. areas. So babies, babies love faces. They
1: are drawn to your face. Usually before they're interested, even in toys, it's more about the social games that you play with your baby. So peekaboo or tickles, um, making silly sounds. Um, those are kind of great ways to play with your baby. Mm -hmm. even like singing songs and rhymes those are fun too right you can add you know different gestures and things but people games is what we call those and those are really important because they help like we said kind of establish that connection there's an attention together so you have to have what's called joint attention to communicate Mm -hmm. together so that's like the same focus your baby and you are kind of focused on the same thing or your your child or your baby
0: Oh, oh, so when you're saying joint attention, it does that mean you're focused on each other? each other? Yeah. Or are you talking about your each other? Okay, and got it. it
1: could be an object too, like something else.
0: Or yeah. an object. But you're both joining your attention on the one thing. Cool. Okay. Yeah. And then what are some things as you, you know, get into maybe a toddler?
1: Yeah. Reading books mm-hmm. is, is awesome for all of their childhood years. But that, that helps right. them and encourages language development, too. With toddlers, we we kind of can um, focus on what they're interested in. So people games are still still great. If they're interested in a toy, mm-hmm. yeah, we should be talking to them about what they're doing. And don't be afraid to be silly. I feel like toddlers really respond well to, to silliness and play.
0: For sure. And yeah. there's
1: no correct way to play. So if your toddler isn't stacking the blocks up on top, try and imitate what they're doing to get into their world. And see what you can get them to do, or or
0: copy you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's more of that intuition, and trying to see the world as your child is seeing yes. the world, and that's a great method of connection, yes. regardless the age of the person. But I don't, I don't think in my young mother years I thought of that. I would have liked to have been more aware um, that I'm trying to see the world as they see it, and I think that's probably something that comes naturally to some yeah. people. And maybe it just didn't yeah. to me. Yeah. So I just want to share a little bit of my young motherness because I do want to get more into the music part of this. Um, I I have a really playful personality by nature. But when I had my first baby, and this is 26 and a half years ago, I, I didn't feel naturally playful. And I, I felt kind of like I wanted to connect. I wanted to play with her. Reading books came naturally to me but I didn't totally know how to play with her. And that when I tell people that now they're like, you're kidding, you're the most playful person ever. And I teach, you know, my sound beginnings classes, my let's play music classes. And they're like, I don't believe that about you. But I really didn't, I didn't understand how to connect right. with her in that way. And so um, we started taking kinder music classes when she was probably six months old. And that like, it just opened the world for me, it, taught me how to play and connect and interact with my daughter like nothing i'd ever it, it was just amazing and it, it might partly be because i'm a musician and i'm a music educator so it used my but, language you know i was really comfortable singing and i was comfortable with with tunes and echoing and all that stuff but um the music part of it for me is what taught me how to connect and play with my babies. And then it felt really natural and intuitive and I I knew how to do it. It's awesome. And um so let's let's talk about yeah, like the music element. How how does music work into speech and interaction and communication and and the joint potential? Yeah. Attention? Yeah. So like the benefits of music
1: with your child.
0: Yeah, I'd love you to talk okay. about that. Um, sure.
1: Yeah. So first just like we talked about connection is it's huge and music helps you do that. You think about singing a song with a child and you're usually face to face. You're looking at each other. Right. So you're um, you're reading each other's body language and gestures and facial expressions. Um, and that's really important again for language development.
0: Mm-hmm. And relationship yes. development yeah. too. I would yeah, think.
1: establishing that joint attention. So you think of singing like a nursery rhyme with your child and you're laughing and giggling, and then maybe the next time you sing it, you could leave out a part or stop and wait and see what they do. And mm-hmm. if they, you know, make a noise even, or hit you or do something silly, um, then you can keep going. And that's a form of communication and that's how it starts building that intentionality that they're learning that their actions can communicate something
0: and get a need or desire fulfilled. Wow. And and the, their um, intentions yes. matter. Yes. Uh, that's super cool because again, I'm, I'm thinking adults here, you know, how do we help adults feel important? We stop and we listen and we wait for their right. response, right? So you're you're telling me that this, you know, this starts so, so very early that a child, even an infant can be made to feel important and that their intentions matter just by stopping and listening and waiting totally. to see what they do. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah, Language it is, awesome. it
1: is. It's like the, <laughs> the food for the
0: brain. Yeah. Well, and you've given us that, that fun idea for a musical game or any kind of a game to, to stop, to wait and see what the reaction is. Even if it's not verbal, even if it's just a response, you have now connected and communicated. Even right. if it's not verbal. Right. With right. That and child. that's something yeah, yeah. to continue to build off of. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the, the development. Like I, I know just in my study, this is where I've, come across speech development is because I came at it from a music angle. So um, as, as I was in college and I learned that there was a music learning window and that back then they said that the music learning window was from the ages of three to nine, but now it got earlier and earlier and earlier. And now they're saying it's prenatal until nine. I mean, it's, right. it's changed a lot. I, I started college 30, 32 years well, ago is when I started. So I heard that and I was, blown away, because even three sounded early to me. And then, um, you know, they said it's because the reason that the the music learning window is here is because that's where the speech learning window is as well. And it's all tied to the auditory processing centers of the brain. And I don't have a lot of scientific vocabulary surrounding that, um, other than like, you know, your auditory cortex, and your auditory processing. Um, but do you have any more information on that? How how those two skills? So are I don't know
1: a ton on. There was a study that was done where those who who were musical um, had an easier time differentiating between sounds, and so mm-hmm. that kind of helps gets us to think music encouraging language development and being able to hear sounds and differentiate between them.
0: Right. So more finely tuned auditory processing yes. centers. Come from that musical exposure right, or musical right. training it definitely makes sense I mean it's it, I'm yeah, not a hard yeah. sell on that one <laughs> i I will say for sure 100 percent I believe you on that <laughs> and then my daughter is getting her master's degree she's actually getting it in clinical psychology and she brought me one of her textbooks because it was a early child development and she was like, mom, you're gonna love this part because it was all about all about speech and language development and she was showing me you know the the levels of differentiation as a child is able to differentiate you know a syllable and then a word and then learn how to this whole string of words like hi my name is Shelly at what point do they learn that that's five words hi my name is Shelly how do they learn that name in there was oh I heard name in this area. And then I heard name by itself in this sense. So name must be one word. And like that differentiation, yeah. like you said, that it, it's amazing what the brain does at those right. levels of development, which is like in, infant right. to right. three years old. Yeah. Right? Those
1: years, uh, zero to three are, are crucial. Babies are born, you know, with hundreds of billions of neurons, that connect and and fire Mm -hmm. together. And so before a baby is eight months old, they're able to detect other sounds in different cultures and languages. But by the time they're eight months old, they start to prune those neurons Mm -hmm. and they're really tuning into uh, the sounds of their own language. So yeah, and it's fascinating that we do learn that this is a sound, but it can also be manipulated and sounds combined together to form words and then go on to
0: forming sentences, right. Yeah, and this is all part of that, really the miracle of language development. It's just fascinating. And I like how you used the word prune to talk about how babies they're they're truly able to take in everything. and then they slowly prune off right. what they no longer need. They, if it's not in their environment anymore, if they're not being, you know, surrounded by it, they start going, actually, I don't need this. Actually, I don't need this. Actually, I don't need this. And it's, you know, a source method of development, but also a yes. sort of survival to find out right, the things it, that it's I like need. like that
1: old thing: like, if you don't use it, you lose it. So this isn't important. Mm-hmm. We don't need that. But I'm continuing to hear these sounds. So tune into
0: those. So even more important for babies to be surrounded by all kinds of things. And music yes. is definitely yes. one of them. And since most of our listeners are um, either musicians or their parents of children, and they understand the importance of music, I, I just want to talk a little bit more about how you have seen um, music develop for your children. What have you seen? As you know, you can just talk as a mom now.
1: I I love music. That it it helps specifically the Sound Beginnings course. That it was a way um, to connect with my girls. That it was time set aside and a point of connection. Also, just A way to, yeah, to learn new songs um, where they were exposed to different vocabulary than we use just when we're talking even. So I do really that that helps them and expose them to different things and and topics sometimes that we wouldn't normally have in our home. Mm -hmm. And yeah, learning phonological awareness. You have to be aware that you can manipulate sounds. Um, And this is an important skill to have for like reading and literacy later on. And so rhyming,, right. um, learning to rhyme and learning how to, to change words and create rhymes and things, really important also for uh-huh. for literacy development. So that was that's a fun part of music that naturally occurs in, in all those fun
0: nursery rhymes and songs, rhyming and, yeah, just a way, a way to connect with our kids. Right. And a way to develop language and literacy. And also, even the structure of nursery rhymes—they have a repetitive and yes. predictable pattern. Um, yes, that's yes. really like good for said, children, like, right?
1: So repeating words and in songs, words repeat. Um, so yeah, repetition is key for for learning. Like we said, wire together. When they when they fire together, they wire together. Speaking of your neurons in your brain.
0: Ah, yes. I yes. like so that. So if you're not that's using cool. those
1: and building those connections, then it's it's going to go away. So, yeah, repetition is, is huge in, in learning language. And that's
0: also a natural part of, of nursing rhymes and, and simple songs geared towards kids. Right, right. And, you know, of course, Sound Beginnings is based on this type of research. And so everything that's in there is really, really specifically geared to do a lot of the things that you were saying, you know, the different types of nursery games and the ones where we yeah. leave out a word and then they're supposed to supply it. So I knew that just because I teach sound beginnings and I was involved in the creation of it. But the facet that you made amazing for me was that that's a way to listen to your child and make them feel important. I I hadn't thought of that. And, and I, you know, we, we do a lot of yeah. education in sound beginnings, and we feel like one of the most important things we do is to bond yes. this parent to the child. So I love that I'm learning yet another way we are bonding in classes just simply by, you know, doing yes. that little leave out the word game and, yes. and wait for a response. What are some other things you've seen in your sound beginnings class that that you've thought, oh wow,
1: this is cool for them? There was a part in the Sounds Beginnings uh, with a puppet where we practice animal sounds. Uh-huh. And so for your younger kids. Yes. That's great just to practice imitation and imitating a sound because lots of times those animal mm-hmm. sounds are easier to produce than a word. So for, for the tinies from like zero right. to 18 months, but then also fun for,
0: for the toddler age too, to imitate. So that was a fun piece of it. Uh, totally agreed. Yes. And that's Echo ED that you're talking about. And yeah, imitating those animal sounds is yeah, it's super research-based. It looks silly. It looks like, what is this? But it is way complex education. So
1: different actions that you put with the songs. Those are great because a lot of times Mm -hmm. our kiddos are imitating gestures before they imitate words. Um, So that's a good way to, Uh. at home, um, after class, if you're singing a song, trying to get your baby to to clap with you or do a certain hand movement that you did in class, just to encourage imitation. because. Once you can imitate gestures, then you can start to imitate words.
0: Interesting. So gesturing can kind of be a predecessor yes. to yes. speech. That's really cool. Anything else that you've seen in, in your Sound Beginnings class that you thought, mm-hmm. oh, that matters?
1: Another fun thing for toddlers that was fun, because it's it's a preschool readiness, kindergarten readiness too, where we learn the, the alphabet right. and the sounds. Mm-hmm. And I also love, we talked about um, turning on your voice and turning off your voice. That's yeah. just a, a fun way to draw awareness for our kids mm-hmm. that, oh, I, I'm i making these sounds with my voice and it, it's different for, for different sounds. So that's right.
0: yeah, an important skill to have too. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the the cooler things that we do in Sound Beginnings is the, when we make all of the sounds of the letters and we do the unvoiced and the voiced, So, you know, the difference between a G and a G that you can feel the vibrations in your throat and you have the voiced G and then the unvoiced k. and when a child can feel that, you know, like you said, it's a heightened awareness and it's a, oh, my body is doing that. And I'm, you know, taking that phoneme and, and feeling how it feels in my body to make that sound. And I just think that discovery is, is totally, it's learning. It's so true. Yeah that's awesome. Um okay so now let's I I told you before earlier on that my daughter was, you know, not she was not speaking and I just and so we had interventionists come to our house, you know, help her find her voice and help her learn to speak. So and I and I often hear nieces, nephews, colleagues, peers whatever they say, "Yeah, my baby isn't speaking yet." And I, you know, I'm not sure if i should be worried i'm not sure if if anything's wrong and i feel like the the general response to that is she'll be fine everybody learns to talk it'll be fine don't worry but you know in my case and many others right. there is a cause for worry and you actually do need to be aware that um early intervention is best so will you talk to us about maybe some of those signs early on that That might actually be Yeah, yeah. So if your baby isn't
1: babbling or making a lot of noises by nine to ten months at the the latest, that's that's a cause for concern. Also, if we don't have any words by fifteen months and then no consistent words by eighteen months, that's also a point of concern where you'd want to schedule an evaluation with a C pathologist. And you can you can talk to your pediatrician, but you don't have to have a referral from your pediatrician. Sometimes the old practice is, like you said, to wait and see. And we we advise against that these days. The earlier you can get in,
0: the better. Right. And I was glad that I had a neighbor who said, I'm concerned about your daughter. I noticed she was not making any noises at all. and And I was like, well, she's the fifth kid. There's so much noise going on around her. I I hadn't noticed it yet. I really hadn't. And I was really glad that a neighbor pointed it out and said, this is concerning to me. And, and you need to, I live in Arizona. So we have a program here called Arizona early intervention program. And she taught me that same thing that, um, you can just go onto the website, A-Z-I-E-P, A-Z-E-I-P. Yes. And, um, and refer yourself. You don't have to have a doctor or anything else. And, um, and so I hope that anyone listening today will will understand that, that, yeah, it's well-intentioned when people say, don't worry, it'll be fine. But but we do want to intervene early in, in matters right. of, you know, infant and toddler and child development. So um, I, I like that you've given us those kind of benchmarks, lots of babbling at nine, 10 months, words at 15, and many consistent words that at means. 18 months. Those are some kind of yeah, some guidelines to help parents know is my child going down this road. What what happens when you do notice this? What should a parent do?
1: Schedule an evaluation. It's free and they will they'll come to your house and do an evaluation and then they'll determine based on those scores from the evaluation if your child does need speech therapy services. And in the meantime, yeah, continue to to talk to your baby, to read to your baby, to sing with your baby and your child and try and encourage them and be playful, encourage them to imitate you. You try imitating them and their sounds. Another thing that I'm super passionate about, screen time. Screen time in our day is super common. and It's just accessible everywhere. But for our tinies, the American Academy of Pediatrics has advised, as advised, uh, no screen time for children two and under. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, that's really, really
1: good to know that, Kelsey. Yes. Yeah. So no ipads um no tv no phones and i see i see the opposite of that a lot in my community out and about um and it just makes me sad that yeah that it's maybe
0: not as known right Um, no no i don't think it is i mean relatively speaking technology is new right we don't have a whole generation that has gone through this at all um, right. And and I do have to say this, that when I introduced you, I didn't say her Instagram account is speaking with intention. And, and that should have been part of my introduction of you. But this, um, you really should go and follow her now. It's just speaking with intention on Instagram. But um, Kelsey shares tips and pointers and insights and awesome parent education surrounding speaking with intention. But also, like you said, your passion of lessening screen time. So what else do you yes. want to tell us about that? Yeah,
1: just that there are lots and lots of research studies and more coming out um, showing that screen time really is detrimental for these um, tiny brains. It affects attention, uh, behavior, executive functioning, all of these areas of the brain that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn through experience in their environment. So really, mm-hmm. I think we kind of think like, oh, my child's gonna be bored just sitting here. Um, I'm gonna put them in front of the iPad or turn on a show. Uh, and that's not true. They are learning just by looking, by exploring on the floor and touching things. So really the best thing for their brains and their development is to go without the screen.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would you say to that mom who says, but then they're gonna cry. And when I put the screen in front of them, they don't cry. What do we say then? Right. And I would just
1: say, try your best to to set boundaries. If you already are using screens, try and increase those, you know, little by little if you have to. Find a toy, find a cup from your cupboard, your Tupperware. Those things are fascinating for for tinies. And just try and find something that they're interested in and that they can learn
0: from by Mm -hmm. exploring their environment. Right rather than providing a false environment. Right. Rather I, than providing something that's inauthentic.
1: Yes. I think sometimes long-term thinking is, screens are are a short-term kind of fix. Um, okay, this is going to entertain you for a second. But if we're thinking right. long-term, this is really not good for, for their development and affects their behavior. That's just this continuous cycle of, of challenges more for you. So you're going to help yourself in the long run, if you avoid screens
0: as much as possible. Right. That's great. Now, I noticed you said ages two and under shouldn't have screens at all. Right. So by the will you say the name of the study or the institution that you quoted a minute ago? The American Academy of Pediatrics. Oh, I've heard of them. Yes. <laughs> OK, so I just didn't totally hear before. So what what is the recommendation then for ages two and up? Um, from, I know from two to five, it's about an hour a day. Okay. And green
1: right. time is considering your
0: phone, iPads or TV. So right. An hour a day. Right. And, and just taking this and going back again to what I said earlier, when I didn't know how to, to play with my daughter. Um, I just remembered being in a grocery line and she was probably one I'm thinking about a year old. And um, you know, she was starting to cry and and I realized I could do a nursery rhyme with her. And I don't remember if it was, you know, where is thumpkin or whatever. But I started singing that with her and she stopped crying. And I'm like, oh, I can I can play with her in line and make her stop crying. And now I see in line everyone's handing their kid their phone to make them stop yes, crying. Yes. And I can't judge because I, I am not in that world. I never had that available, so I didn't ever have it as a temptation. Right, But um, I do kind of want to jump in that kid's face and go, Where is Duncan? Where <laughs> is Duncan? And just do that authentic game with them and see if, if they would love it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: because you think too, um, if you're looking at a screen, you're not connecting with the world around you. And like we've talked about, building that connection um, is so important for communication. So if your child is not making eye contact with you um, and interested in your face, that's that's a problem for for learning to
0: talk um, and for for building relationships yeah, yeah and for feeling like you're important in the world because totally. you're not important to that screen you, totally. your child does not matter to that screen at all but your you know your parent your grown-up your caregiver that you matter to them and they show you that and it's it's such a more authentic and building um, experience. Yeah, so yeah, I'm really glad. I'm sorry that I I skipped over that cuz I fully intended to talk about your your Instagram and your intentions with that Instagram which is speaking intentionally. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: Yeah, intentionally connecting with your with your child.
0: So tell us about the onset of that. Tell me why you called it that and and oh. when you started that Instagram feed and tell me what you hope to accomplish with that.
1: Yeah, so I I started it about two years ago when I had my second daughter and she was an infant and I was actually Mm -hmm. working as a therapist uh, with a a young child. And the mom kept um, talking to me and saying, gosh, I wish I would have, I known some of these things, you know, before now my, my child needs intervention and I could have been doing so much more if I, if I only would have known. And I, I just loved that intention on purpose And, and parenting with a purpose instead of kind of just going through the motions. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was so much so many simple things that that we can do to encourage language development. So I was getting lots of questions from just friends and family. And I know social media is a big way to connect with people and acquire um, and absorb information these days. And so I just kind of wanted to to share things that I've learned in school and from being a mother myself.
0: Right. Yeah, that's so awesome. It's really a great account. I spent some time on that this week, just knowing that I was, I was going to be interviewing you. And, um, I think the word intention is super important. Um, speaking with intention, parenting with intention, um, our intents, you know, they manifest what we care about the most. Yes. So I'm, I think that's a really important place to spend your time. And I think that's awesome. And I do hope people find that And and learn from it, and you know, if we'd have known sooner, right? That's that's what I say all the time now. Wow, I wish I would have known that sooner. And you are helping that to happen in an intentional way. So yeah, it's really cool. So something that I want our audience to understand is, as a speech language pathologist, um, what are some overarching principles that parents and educators need to understand about developing speech?
1: Yeah. So the first thing we kind of talked about it earlier, there's two parts of the brain where language is housed. Um, right. And one that we talked about was responsible for receptive language and expressive language. And those are just fancy terms for understanding and talking. Got it. And so those are the two parts of language. And then before our child even starts talking, we start to work on preverbal language skills. So there's a lot of other skills before you start to hear words. And these skills are developed like in the first year, usually, of life. Um, Right. Those things include like eye contact, joint attention, turn-taking, imitation, using gestures, and then understanding. Wow. So there's a lot. But these are the foundational skills um, that your child needs to be able to say their first words. So we work on those mainly through connection, like we've talked about too, is sure connecting with our child through social play, talking face-to-face, and tickling, playing peekaboo, those ty- types of games. Those all work on those, those foundational skills. And then we get into hearing those first
0: words. Right. Awesome. So all of those nonverbal skills are really predecessors to actually creating any words at all. Yes, they're really important. That's kind Mm -hmm. of where we start. Yeah. Can you say that list again? You gave kind of a bullet list of several things and maybe like an example of each one. Yeah. So
1: eye contact is like it sounds just making eye contact and looking at your face. Your baby has to attend to your face to know that you're talking um, and that you're kind of a communication partner. Right. I talked about joint attention and that is when Mm -hmm. you and your child are sharing attention and focus on something that could be a toy so or a person or or something in your environment so that for example is you're holding your baby and dad comes in the room and your baby looks at you and then looks back at dad and then looks back at you as if to say mom dad's here do you see dad he's right there um
0: oh and
1: that's an important skill because you're communicating um so if, right if, right yeah if you if two people don't know they're focused on the same thing or aren't sharing that attention then you're not you're not together you're not in the same world you're not
0: you're not communicating right so yeah the joint attention is a form of nonverbal communication because you are sharing the same experience yes and your your communication communicates that yes
1: i said turn taking is another important one
0: oh okay turn taking and is that just what's what's an example of turn taking with an infant so you can do it with
1: peekaboo so mom peekaboo's at baby and then baby squeals or does something and then it's
0: mom okay
1: to communicate to do something and then baby reacts again or it can be baby makes a sound and mom imitates that
0: sound Uh uh-huh and then
1: baby tries again and then mom tries again so
0: that Um, uh-huh, so they're they're taking turns doing slightly different things. Yes, but it's an interplay. Yes, cool. Yeah.
1: okay. And then we talked about gesture use as well. So just using gestures, shaking your head yes or no, pointing, reaching, all those gestures are a, a form of communication and they happen before mm-hmm. words. And um, there's even a study that shows kids that use more gestures, babies that use more gestures had larger vocabularies later on.
0: Well, cool, those are all awesome pre-verbal skills that kind of pave the way for language and parents can be purposefully cultivating these things with their children to encourage verbal development. Yes.
1: All right, that's great, what else? So then, so you're talking to your baby, you're face-to-face, you're building connection, those are kind of setting the, the foundation for language. Then once you kind of get more communication, even through gestures or words, you can use what we call sabotaging the environment. And oh wow. That sounds that sounds harsh, but it's not harsh. <laughs> so that's kind of creating an opportunity for your child to communicate with you. So that looks like okay um putting toys in a bin or toys out of reach. So your child has to come to you and get you to open it or communicate to you oh. that they need help, even giving oh. one blueberry at mealtime instead of you know, multiple so that they can say more. So just you're mm-hmm. kind of creating these opportunities and just being intentional about it.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So you're manipulating the environment. I like the word you use with sabotage. Yes. But you are actually creating a space so that your child has to communicate with you. And I'm sure a lot of those things happen naturally. They do,
1: right. And you can be aware of them and create more of them if you need to work on communication.
0: Right. I remember one thing I would do with my toddlers. It doesn't seem like it was infants, but something my toddlers loved for me to do with them, and it seemed like I was kind of sabotaging the environment. Is I would purposefully do the wrong thing, yes, so they could correct me and tell me, "No, no, 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 mom," or laugh at me. You know, like I would put my their sock on my foot, or something that yes. was just silly, and they would say, "No, that's not the right foot," I love that, or you know, silly. they just that's so good. I feel like just that that might be kind of sabotage the environment 100%. where you're just changing it so they have to communicate with yes. you. Or, yes, that's yeah. perfect.
1: And then another one, I don't know if you ever did this with your kids, too, is is giving choices. Right. So at mealtime, like, do you want the big spoon or the little spoon? Um, do you want the bear or the book? And even if your child isn't right yet, they can still communicate by pointing or you can watch their eye gaze. Right And encourage it that way. So sometimes I don't think we always think about that. Like, do you want the book? Um, but giving choices is a great way to encourage use, use of language.
0: Wow. Yeah, that really is powerful. And yeah, I don't think I don't think of those things naturally or I didn't. A lot of times mealtime and playtime or at least just mealtime is so rushed or, you know, you're like, you like you have to get the meal out that I feel like parents probably forget to say, would you like this or this and make it an intentional um, linguistic activity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's easy. Yeah. It's easy to forget, but then it's something simple. I feel like too, even if mealtime is busy, you can include, you know, a couple of, of choices.
0: Right. Yeah. And yeah, I can see how it would be a really powerful exchange because mealtime is so routine and it does involve a lot of exchanging and it involves a lot of, um, nurturing and caring too. So that's such a great opportunity To provide opportunities to communicate. And, and, you know, like you said, even if it's non linguistic, that's really cool. And then, like you said, if even if they're not speaking yet, you know, it can say, Do you want the bear or the book? And they can reach for it. And you're giving them an opportunity to gesture. You're giving them an opportunity to um, put their will out on the world. Yes.
1: Yeah. And then you,
0: if they gesture towards the book, then you model
1: that word. You say, Book, you want the book. Here's the
0: book. Right. They're hearing
1: that still so that you're encouraging talking, but also they're communicating. So take advantage of of that interaction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those are awesome ways to encourage communication, ways that happen naturally all day long, but ways that parents can really capitalize on those opportunities. Yes. So cool. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Yeah. Well, it's been really fun to talk to you today, Kelsey. I love learning your, about your experience and your education and everything that you've done thus far fun to hear about your experience with it and i love it too i you know like i said i teach Down beginnings and i adore it i think it's just genius heather prissy and ray levitt are the ones that mostly created it and they're both educators and they're both you know did their research so it's a really solid program and yeah. i love hearing that you're benefiting from it with your own children
1: yeah we loved
0: it that's so awesome. Well, everybody, glad you were here today with Kelsey and I, and thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye. Thank you.